Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway show, and actually, of every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards, and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. This is episode seven. Our special guest is Aaron Kaborik. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, Brad Bradley. How are you? I'm really great. How are you? Right. Well, I'm going to start off by reading your credits, and if I uh, miss anything, let me know. Okay. Uh, Billy Elliot, Sister Act, Motown, Something Rotten, and the tours of Annie, and what I miss? Uh, the Full Monty, and then the tour of Billy Elliot as well. Oh, right. So yeah. we'll get back to that, because I'm curious why, why you did both. Oh, yeah, and left one for the other. Because who leaves a Broadway show? I know. Who would leave a Broadway show to go on tour? Uh, so uh, tell me about yourself, how you guys started. and Well, I'm originally from a little farm town in central Illinois, kind of by St. Louis, Missouri, a little town called Carlinville, Illinois. And I, my mom took me to the St. Louis Muni when I was probably eight or nine years old to see The Sound of Music starring Debbie Boone. And I was convinced like that's what I wanted to do was something in theater and so um, I then in my small little town I started taking piano lessons because there weren't a whole lot of performance options so that seemed like a good first start for me and then by the time I was in the sixth grade I decided to start taking dance lessons so I took a one-hour class it was 20 minutes jazz 20 minutes ballet and 20 minutes (laughs) tap and there were only two other boys in the class and at the end of like the first year, I was like, this is ridiculous, all I wanna do is tap. Um, but she convinced me to do jazz for like two more years in addition to tap. And then after like those next two years, I was like, no, I'm done. I was like, no, I was like a character actor at age like 12. So I was like, jazz is not for me, but tap dance I love, so that I always did. Um, but there were no performance options. We had like the high school musical and that was it. And so I sort of had to wait. When I was in junior high, I actually, I contacted the high school musical director because they were doing The Wizard of Oz. And I was like, you'll need short people because you need munchkins. <laughs> and so in the seventh grade, she was like, okay. So I was in the high school musical when I was still in junior high. And then, um, and then did high school. And then it was in college that I started really studying tap with a great t- dance teacher in Boston named David Connolly because I went to Boston University. My parents actually wanted me to study theater and I was the one who was like no I will do something sensible so I studied economics really yeah but I continued to take like acting classes and voice lessons and dance classes on the side just because I enjoyed it and was a part of like a theater troupe in college called on Broadway Um, (laughs) but I didn't even perform much with them I did mainly directing and like producing stuff because I thought with the economics degree I would do something in arts administration now the truth behind all of this is I think, not think, I know, like so, like deep down inside I wanted to be a performer, but I knew how hard it was, so I was sort of patting myself. I was like, okay, if I, if I get do all this arts administration stuff, at least I'll get to work in theater and be around it. And that's what I did. When I graduated from college, I started, uh, or my senior year of college actually, I started interning at the St. Louis Muni, which is the nation's largest and oldest outdoor musical theater, Ooh, 11, yes. 000, over 11,000 seats. Um, and I, it's where I went to go see shows growing up, Debbie Boone and The Sound of Music being one of them. And, um, and so I started interning there before my senior year. And after my senior year, the producer, Paul Blake, asked me if I would move to New York and become his full-time assistant because he had a New York office. And then we would go to St. Louis for the summertime. And it was perfect. It was exactly like what I was wanting to do, is what I thought would be good with my economics degree, plus all the theater stuff I had been studying. Except that after about two or three years of doing it, I ultimately just was like, I'm watching people perform, and that's what I want to be doing. So I had told him that, but I also said, you know, I'm not leaving you like right now. I, I want to study more. Because the truth is, I was like, like I said, I was like a character man, meaning like by the time I graduated from college, I was bald. I was certainly not a leading man. I was going to be playing like the sidekick, the best friend. Like, but I, so I knew I kind of needed to grow into my looks a little bit because I had a baby face, but kind of looked older as well because I didn't, I was bald. And so it was sort of a tricky position to put me in casting wise. And I knew that. So I thought, well, this would be good. I'll work for him for a little bit. And 
he was at dinner with Kevin McCollum, who produced Rent on Broadway and Avenue Q. And he said, oh, I have this great assistant who I'm afraid I'm going to lose because he wants to be an actor. And Kevin said, what's his type? And he described it. And Kevin said, well, we have some spots open on the Full Monty tour. You should have him come audition for us. So I went in, and my whole goal was to literally just, like, don't mess up and don't embarrass Paul or Kevin. Like, that was my goal. And, um, and I got it. So not only did I not embarrass them, but I got the job as well. And so that was my equity debut and my, oh, wow. my professional debut was doing the, the national tour of the Full Monty, which I had seen on Broadway. And I remember when I saw it, I was like, I want to do this show so bad, but I just, it just seems so unattainable to me to, to do that. Um, and then like two years later, it was happening, which was awesome. And so I did that for about six months. And That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, one thing you talked about is being a character man. I think so many people have the misconception that if you're in a Broadway chorus, you have to be a tall, leggy, blonde girl mm-hmm. or like a little twinky boy. And that's totally not true. So how is it that you, I mean, a lot of people uh, get upset that they're not a certain type. I mean, how do you embrace being a, a character man? I think that's, character mans are fantastic. I yeah. want Thank you, Brad. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love it. And I, and I think, but you, I think you, you, you hit on a great word, which is embracing your type. So it's, the first step is figuring out what your type is. You know, there are people who are the ingenues of leading men and they have to, you have to know exactly what you are. And then once you do know what you are, you have to embrace it. So unfortunately there are the people who think that they are leading men when they really are a quirky sidekick who has dashing good looks or something. But, so it takes a bit of figuring out and that means opening your ears and listening to what teachers say to you or trying to get feedback from casting calls and understanding. For me, it was a little bit easier. Again, I, I like I went bald at age 19. I, you know, am not like a skinny little chorus boy. So I knew all along, I'm going to be like singing Shapoopy. I'm going to be doing, you know, the character stuff. So for me, what I love about it and being in an ensemble is that I, I kind of get to be what I like to call the utility man which means like if they need, you know, I, I can in one evening I can play a whole bunch of different parts, which I love. They can slap a wig on me and a pair of glasses and I look completely different one minute later in a totally different scene saying a different line in a different way. And that's one thing that I love. Like I can play a news reporter in one scene and the next scene I can be like an altar boy like in Sister Act and, and the audience doesn't even realize they've just seen the, the same actor because I get to change my looks which anybody can do with wigs, but uh, for me, it's kind of nice because my I keep referencing my bald head. It's like, no, I'm obsessed with my baldness. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is really handy because it does change your look, um, you know, enormously, which is great. I'm also in a unique position. You know, I've talked a lot about how much I've tapped, and I think that that has helped me just drastically because there are a lot of you know, once you move to New York, there are a lot of people of your type in every single type. But what distinguishes me, I feel, in my type is that I can dance. And there are other guys who, who can dance that are character men as well, but um, I tap, and that's, a, that's sort of a dying art form. Unfortunately, it is. Yeah. yeah, which I hate that so much. It makes me so sad, but happily we have people like Casey Nicola who keep using it and which is wonderful. So for me, that's sort of my like, my like ace in the hole, like my, you know, it's, I keep that in my back pocket. I'm like, well, I've always got the tap, which then helped me with, um, uh, you know, with getting Billy Elliot, which is my Broadway debut, because I could tap. And um, I still remember like somebody had said to me, um, like a year or two before Billy came to Broadway, they were like, this show's going to come in from London, and when it comes in, it was Jen Cody, actually, is who, is who told me. We were working at the Muni together. She said, this is going to come in. When it comes in, you need to go in for it, because it's basically all character men who can tap dance, and that's it's just not an easy thing to find. So I sort of love that that is, you know, it's what makes me unique in a, you know, and it is all about finding your uniqueness in our industry. Well, you mentioned Billy Elliot, which was your Broadway debut, but we do something different with you and go backwards yeah. with your Broadway shows. Um, I created this podcast to celebrate, you said the word ensemble, mm-hmm. which I think is great because people always say chorus, but yeah. it is an ensemble and it's a unit, and they are, like I say, the backbone. Mm-hmm. And I'm something that's something I'm really proud about. 
but a lot of people don't always feel the same way about that. People say, oh, you got the show, what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm in the chorus. They're like, oh, sorry. It's like when you're in high school and you're like, oh, I got crew. And that's, this podcast itself is something I wanted to get rid of that stigma. Yeah. Um, but I mentioned this to someone and they were like, that just happened to Aaron and he got something rotten, which is a huge, big deal. So uh, talk about that because there's nothing worse than you, you're excited that you're going to be doing this and whoever it is, General Joe Schmo, is like, oh, you're in the chorus. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is something I'm extremely cautious of saying chorus versus ensemble because the term chorus sort of in our industry came back from harkens back to the days when you know the original musicals were being formed and you would have the singing chorus and the dancing chorus and then you'd have your bit players basically and now that's not the case we do everything so I, I almost take a little bit of offense to the word chorus because um, in our industry now those of us that are in an ensemble we are not just singers, we are not just dancers, we are not just actors. We can do all three things when you're on Broadway, or hopefully we can. And I take, I take great pride in that. And I, I've said to numerous people I would be happy to be in the ensemble until the day I die, because partially because of what I was speaking before. When you're in the ensemble, you, you get to do such a variety of things. So for me, it just... It keeps it fresh, and, and it's not like I've never played a principal, and so I don't know what that's like. I have. And I, you will I, again. Yeah, yeah. and I, I will again, and I'm happy to. That's fine. But I I love being in the ensemble because I because I get to like create so many different little characters, and there's also something really, um, how do I describe this? But, you know, it's, it's similar to principals when they're in a scene, and they have a great scene partner, and the two partners help lift the scene. The same thing happens in the ensemble when you're, you know, specifically in, in bottom, in, um, are we gonna, is it going to be too loud? You can hear the sound check in the background. It's yeah, we're actually doing something rotten in the soundtrack. Well, I'll just move this bike over here All right. so it's really close I'll, to you. I'll lean in. It probably won't last too long. Yeah, we're actually in the theater right now. Uh, At the St. James. Um, but there's actually a part of something rotten at the end of Act One. There's a number called Bottoms on Top, and the whole ensemble is in a circle facing each other, uh, doing its step. And there's something about the moment connecting with everybody in that moment, and it, it, it everybody's just so happy. It's a it's a joyous number, and and we all sort of lift each other up in such an exciting way. It's like such an adrenaline rush that that I I love, and so I I mean. I do sort of, I, I take great offense when somebody's like, oh, you're just in the ensemble, because the support work we do is great, and the, um, the, thing, the characters that we get to create in the ensemble are, are, are wonderful, and we get to create them a lot of times. You know, the principals, a lot of times their part is created for them by the writers, but if you get to originate a show and you're in the ensemble, you sort of originate your track. And Absolutely. so you can kind of create things and then the person that replaces you, all of a sudden they're doing your, what we call track, but it is also your character that you've come up with. And specifically in Something Rotten, I do get a nice feature where I play Robin and there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I got to help shape, which was great fun. And your and shape looks great in that dress. Thank you very much. <laughs> don't don't give too much away, Brian. So, talking about something rotten, right now we're in the time period where it's between opening and Tony's. Mm -hmm. So you guys are going crazy with the Tony's and the excitement and nerves, but then you're on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. I mean, so let's just capture the moment. What What is it right now being in an original Broadway cast pre-Tony's? It's, um, it's extremely exciting and it's extremely exhausting because you are sort of pulled at every direction to go to various events. For example, this Monday, which was would have been my day off, about 10 of us had to go perform at a gala for the Manhattan Theater Club, which sounds fancy and wonderful, but it's your, your day off and you have to put on nice clothes and go you know, sing and represent your show. And, um, and so it, it, it is exhausting. We, you know, you all, as it is, you only get one day off anyway, so then you tack on all of this extra stuff that we're doing, and um, it's a lot. Having said that, there are many times when I stop in my tracks and I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to do this. And I, like, <laughs> like 10 years ago, would have never, ever thought I would get to do that. And here I am getting to, like, 
dance on Jimmy Fallon, and um, and it's it's awesome. I mean, the the opportunities that we get that I would have never expected are are great. Even though it is, oh my gosh, it's like right by us, our soundtrack. Moving all around. <laughs> Maybe a little green day, I don't know. Yes. Um you okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um so but it, but You would think they'd do what was that that show, the Green Day show? American Idiot. Yeah. Oh, which was in the St. James actually. Oh, maybe that's funny. Why. It's probably not even Green Day. I'm just like dating myself. So she usually plays Dolly Parton as the soundtrack music, which is, makes me happy because she's one of my favorites. But anyway, <laughs> sidetrack. Um, no, but it's it, it while it's exhausting, it's like you're getting to do the things that like you only dreamed about as a kid. And so I love it. And some of it I've done before because of other shows, but it doesn't matter because it's like a whole new experience each time because you're doing it with new people and a new show. And, um, you know, like for the Tony Awards this year, we're doing one of our big numbers from Act One that's seven minutes long, but we have to cut it in half for the Tony Awards. So we have a lot of rehearsals to make sure that we not only get it down to the right time, but that we don't mess up because it's on live TV and it's a different version than what we do eight times a week. And so your brain just, you know, it's it's hard when your brain goes into autopilot, uh, you know, with movements. So we, you have a lot of rehearsals for that as well, which is complicated. And the same thing happens with all the TV appearance, appearances as well because we do a lot of cut versions or mm-hmm. mashup versions of things. So it's just, it's a lot of rehearsals, but it's all really fun. I mean, we got to be on Jimmy Fallon. Like, I know, that was awesome. Like, that was yeah. so amazing. And, you know, for years, because The Tonight Show was in L.A., Broadway shows didn't really get to be on The Tonight Show. So we're like, because Jimmy Fallon's still new in New York, we were one of the, I don't know, first three shows, I think, that was on or something like that, which is great. And he treated us amazing. He was oh. like, oh my gosh, he couldn't have not, he could not have been lovelier. It was such a fun day and really, really exciting. <coughs> yeah, we loved it. Oh, well, so, and then before this, you you went from, almost from one Broadway show to another, which is kind of rare. You had a little break. You were in Motown. Yeah, so I did Motown until um, January 18th, and on February 7th, we started Something Rotten. So I had done, I've been doing, my history with Motown was, um, I actually did, uh, when I closed Sister Act, which was, um, gosh, I guess in the fall of 2012, I think, I, um, I closed Sister Act and I went on a two-week vacation to Italy. And the day I got back, I started the, the lab of Motown, a three-week lab, which I had booked the day before I left for Italy. They needed a character guy to play like the Copacabana club announcer and a lawyer and a manager. And there were four uh, guys in the show who were like the four character guys who played all that. So we did a three-week lab that fall. And then um, then after that, I was asked to come back and re-audition for the Broadway production, which was going to be happening in about two months, which was uh, sort of hard because you yeah. just worked with the whole creative team for three weeks and basically did a full performance of the show just without sets and costumes. You were just in a rehearsal room. But I thought, you know what, maybe they have a different way. Maybe they want me to try different, you know, parts or whatever. And um, that was, and it was a tricky, it was a tricky situation because the show was about the founding of Motown. So Barry Gordy, who was the head of Motown, he basically you know, he had an idea of what and how, how he wanted everything to look and sound. It was very specific. So I went in, and it was um, probably a month or so later that they'd asked me if I would swing the show, meaning covering the four character men in the ensemble. And I declined. I said no, um, because I was, I really, I wanted to do the stuff I had created in the lab, and I just, uh, I just didn't feel like it was a right move for me. That's there, a hard decision. It was a very hard decision, and um, but the truth is, I, it, the day after, even the day I said no, I didn't, I didn't regret it. I, up until then, I thought, am I going to regret this? Am I going to regret this? And the minute it happened, I thought, no, I'm not going. I don't regret it at all because, for me, there there are swings in this business who are sensational, and I think like I've worked with some of the best, and they're. I'm, it's unbelievable what they can do 
that's not me. <laughs> I've understudied and I work really hard at it, but it, it's to swing and just, you know, jump in and play whatever part they need you to play. It, I, I just know that I would have flop sweat all the time and just like every day walk in like just nervous. And so I said, I said no to it. And, um, and then had all, sort of a rough year where I didn't have a whole lot of work. I um, did a lot of crafting and worked on my hobbies <laughs> at home. Because you uh, quilt. I did, yes, yes. I made a lot of quilts. <laughs> and, um, but I, I'm a firm believer also in taking classes whenever I'm not working. So at that time, I really jumped back into my voice lessons and my tap classes. And also took a clown class during that time because I always try to like step outside my boundaries and take something completely different. So I've done improv. I've taken a couple different clowning classes, actually. Um, But, and I did, during that time, I also did a couple of readings, and I did go do a production of Drowsy Chaperone in North Carolina for a few weeks. So I kept myself busy, and it was fine. And then that summer, I guess, of 2013, I was doing a little kind of vaudeville-esque show down in the East Village. I saw that. Oh, yeah. God bless you all. Um... (laughs) And because apparently a bunch of people sneezed. Bless you all. (laughs) That was a terrible joke, but you're welcome. Um, So while I was doing that, uh, Motown called, and the guy that was doing my track had injured his knee, and they were wondering how quickly I could start. And happily, that production I was doing, I was not uh, on a contract. I was on a contract that I could leave quickly. And um, so I, I did. I went straight to Motown and was in the show within, I think, a week, because a lot of it was similar. And the first day of rehearsal, um, I was told, there was, I was told by somebody that worked on the show, you know, do you want to know why you, you weren't offered it originally? I was like, yes. And they were like, because they wanted a short, bald guy and not a tall, bald guy. Oh, my goodness. And it's, it's such a lesson in, <laughs> in like just sort of letting things go because that's completely out of your control yeah. and um, and it, it just sort of changed everything I was like oh okay great yeah. because the, the main character the track played he was originally short so it, oh, okay. you know it worked better and it um, has a sweet ending you know you got yeah, to go so back then anyway. I, so then I still went into Motown and I was there for a year and a half which was great and during this kind of goes back to the original question you asked but during my time at Motown uh, was when Casey Nicola, our director and choreographer of Something Rotten, had called and asked if I would do the, re- the reading of Something Rotten. So that we did almost a year and a half ago in January of 2014. Oh. And we did a one-week reading, and it was, um, it was really special. All of us that did it, I remember we went um, to Dallas Barbecue on 40, 42nd Street one day, and we were all sitting there at lunch, and we just sort of looked around and everyone was like, this is going to happen. Like, we need to start figuring out who we want to sit next to in the dressing room. Like, Absolutely. That, that's, what the, that's how good this feels. And then we did the, the lab um, about eight months later, eight or nine months later, last fall, in the fall of 2014. And at that time, we, were, we knew we were supposed to go to Seattle, to the Seattle Fifth Avenue Theater this spring, spring of 2015. But at the end of the lab, the end of the four-week lab, we had a hunch that we were going to go to Seattle, we were coming straight to Broadway, and then I would say it was about a month or so later that we got phone calls saying, yep, we're going straight to Broadway. So, but I was still doing Motown that whole time, and it just by total luck worked out. Motown closed January 18th, and I had three weeks off, and then Mm -hmm. I started Something Rotten on uh, February 7th, which was awesome. Awesome. It was a very long-winded... No, <laughs> that's, fan, that's fantastic. Of like um, having very little time off between yes. the shows, which I loved. That no, that's fantastic. And I hear the backstage here at Something Rotten is everyone likes each other and it's fun and joyous. Yeah. So uh, not all Broadway shows are like that. So without like, of course, being mean. Fingers. At um, I hear Motown. You, it was like that. Just walking backstage, people said it's a different feeling. Because not every not every backstage is like, oh, we love being here. Sometimes yeah. it's a job. I mean, yeah, and and that definitely, and I think that happens at every show mm-hmm. at various times in the show. I think it can go up and down. I mean, I loved my time at Billy Elliot, but I think that there were certainly people who would say similar things about it there, mm-hmm. partially because we had so much rehearsal 
at Billy Elliot that a lot of it felt like it just felt very corporate in a, in a mm. different way than a lot of shows felt. Um, but no, um, you know, my, 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 ton, my time at Motown was, was great because it was so unexpected. It was something I had sort of put behind me and then it kind of came out of the blue. So I was, I came into the run maybe eight months in and was extremely excited to be starting this. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people that were there at the time had sort of, they were in the thick of rehearsals. Oh, and right. that's very, that's hard. It's really hard. And it's a place where every show gets after a while where you're sort of like, oh my gosh, we're just rehearsing all the time, especially because that was such a big cast. And so there was turnover a lot. And um, But Something Rotten currently is in a very happy, you know, lovely state. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, yes, we're working hard, but... Um, but no, we're having a lot of fun. It's I think Casey picked a group of people who are friends off stage, knowing that that energy would go on stage and then transcend across the lights, which was um, which is pretty exciting. And I think it does happen. And so then I think the audience picks up on that energy, and I think they do. I hope they do. Oh no, I, I, I like loved they it. They, they, they were standing during the middle of it. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about Sister Act because uh, that was a. Um, you were also a replacement. And were you an understudy as well? It's yeah, I understudied two parts. Um, it's quite funny. I understudied... Um, I, it was an in, it's an interesting thing being an understudy there because that's another thing. A lot of times people think like, oh, as the understudy, you're, you know, you're gearing up to like take over the part or you want the part or something like that. And it, as Sister Act, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really right for either part that I understudied, but I was a good cover for both. So, meaning that I fit, I did everything in the ensemble really well. It was a perfect fit for me. But the, the two parts, one was like um, a thug, like a mob thug. And the other one was like an elderly monsignor of a church. <laughs> so it was like, how do you find somebody who fits those parts perfectly? It's not easy. So I, I sort of was in a great position where um, for the thug, I would wear, I had a, they had a great, great kind of pompadour-ish wig for me with a goatee. And then when I went on as the Monsignor, I just was my bald self. <laughs> That's a bald. bald. <laughs> just a bald beauty. Uh, but um, my time, I loved my time at Sister Act. I did the last six months of it. And, you know, it's so funny. Like, I, I don't, similar to what you were asking me earlier about the, the, happiness of companies and all that. I, in no way do I want to put down the company of Sister Act because it was great. But I came in, they've been going for a year, and there's wear and tear. And especially for those women that played the nuns, they, they have what they call nun neck because there was so much neckography in the uh, show that they would they all were going to PT for their necks, and it was a lot. And the, the, the habits that they wore were heavy on their heads and their necks. and So there was definitely fatigue by the time I got into Sister Act. Meanwhile, I had just finished Billy Elliot five weeks prior, and here comes along the complete opposite of Billy Elliot. There were no kids. It was all, like, sparkles and <laughs> joy, and, like, and I was so giddy to be there. So I always kind of called it, like, the honeymoon for me. Like, I just was, like, it never, ever got old for me. I was so happy to be there every single day. It was... It was a really fun job with great people. We just we had a lot of fun and um, and I loved covering those parts as well because in a way knowing that neither the neither part was a part I could like take over. Right. It almost took the pressure off of me and allowed me to have more fun when I went on. I didn't stress about it too much. You know, playing the Monsignor, I would I wouldn't walk out there and think, oh, I have to be a sixty year old man. Happily. Uh, Jerry Zachs, who directed it, and Steve Beckler, our um, Steve Becker, our, our stage manager, they both were very much like, no, just play it like yourself. There's no reason yeah. that you can't be, you know, in your 30s or 20s. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I loved it. It was really fun, and it was fun to cover those two parts, and I got to play them both enough times in my six months there to yeah. like feel like I was getting to create something and. Yeah, it was it was a it was a great experience. I love that show. I wish I could have done it longer. Oh, but it, well, it now closed. let's talk about Billy Elliot. Which oh yeah, that's how you and I know each other. Exactly. And for me, Billy Elliot was like I, I think all of us want to. Sometimes we like our bits, we like our moments, we like our things in any type of show. 
But I was so proud to be like actually like in the ensemble of Billy Elliot because of the story. But it was like a cog in the wheel. Yeah. But you very much were a group. You you were oh many. Uh, um, some people say that they felt like they were invisible, but they were seen as a group. Um, I for my time there it was magical. I I, I saw it uh, right when it opened and was like I have to be in that show. Um, and I've never like felt that. So I mean, what was your experience? You like helped create the original New York company of it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We didn't, unfortunately, we didn't create a whole lot, only because they, they had already done the show in London. So a lot of what we did was stuff, I mean, it was pretty much exactly the London production, or they were trying out new things on us, improvements they wanted to make on the show, or not even improvements, sometimes it was just changes they wanted to make to make it a little more clear for an American audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first time ever doing anything like that. So that was because I'd always replaced before. Or when I did the Annie tour, that was we just remounted. Martin Sharnan directed that, and we remounted the previous productions. So it was pretty straightforward. But this one, um, yeah, we there were some things, you know, the, the end of Act One, the riot, we got to, uh, we had a whole play day where we sort of did, we, we were put in our groups, and we had the riot barricades, and we sort of, moved around with them in different ways so that Peter Darling, our choreographer, could see the different shapes we could make or things we could do with it. But I have to agree with you. I mean, and, and maybe that's what makes us people who are proud to be in an ensemble in that I showed up there and felt like as being a, being a part of that cog, you know, a cog in the wheel, I was so proud of that, knowing that if I was missing the wheel felt a little flat. Absolutely. Not, and, and not saying that's just me. It, I just mean if any piece of that yeah. was missing, it, it didn't go as smoothly or didn't look the way it should look. Um, yeah, because there's something about doing solidarity that was so magical as a performer, I thought. Just, yeah, I loved it. I agree. I, although, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I love, and I did love solidarity, and there was some sort of like, uh, pride in me of getting through solidarity <laughs> and like being able to sing the very last note which I couldn't do when we first started I think most men would say that and oh, there yeah. were probably some who couldn't do it to the last day they did it like but I took great pride in knowing like at the end of this 10 minute number I was still able to like sing my final note and you were a tenor and you were screaming your yeah it was yeah it was pretty high but it was uh, it was just I loved that I loved like working so hard in that number and you know, it was we really were there to support the boy and make the, make his story shine even greater, which was kind of great because so many of us on that stage had a similar story to him. So the I didn't I never minded working that hard and not having like the spotlight because I knew that in that spotlight was basically my story as right. a kid. You brought in a picture of you in a little unitard and put it backstage, didn't you? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, and my dad was a minor. I mean, yeah. I, it was sort of, it was kind of bizarre how similar it was. But the I, I, what I will say is, you know, a lot of people always ask me, and I love it when people ask this, when they say, um, oh, what's your favorite number to do in the show? And it's, it, you know, it's not a common question, but it's such an interesting one. And, right. and, it, and it changes for me. It probably does for you as well. I mean, it changes, you know, in a, even in a long run. Sometimes you're like, oh, it's now this number. Or, like, we had a number in Something Rotten called We See the Light that in rehearsals I loved doing. We're on church pews and we're singing oh. and dancing them. The reality is once we get into the theater, we're underdressed for the next costume, for the next number. So it's not as fun as it was because it's just hotter and right. harder. So my, my song has changed for something wrong. Now I think it's bottoms on top. But I digress. The Filth. whole... <laughs> no, it's just a very... It's a fun tap dance. Um, you know, the truth is, what I love about bottoms on top, and I'll, I'll get I'll get back to Billy in a minute, what I do really love about it, and the main reason I say I always like it, is that I get to be... And this... Like, you know, I as a kid, I would go see 42nd Street, and I would see all of these ensemble members who didn't look like me and they're tapping like crazy and I would never ever get cast in that show because I don't look like, you know, the traditional quote unquote chorus boy. 
And in Bottoms on Top, like, I get to be a member of the, and I, you know, I hate to use this word, but I, I use it in the sense of the old-fashioned, I get Absolutely. to be a member of the chorus. I get to be a chorus boy. Yeah. And I, there's something, I take great pride in that. And I love that moment that, like, I am standing there next to, you know, Eric Scotto, who is, you know, has done 12 Broadway shows and it, and is, like, just the traditional, like, ensemble tap dancing look who can do everything he can right. play leads and all of that and here I am tap dancing next to him and I take you know then like I'm like that with the whole ensemble I Absolutely. take great pride in that moment but going back to Billy Elliot when people would ask me my song actually never changed during Billy Elliot the whole four years and it was always grandma's song oh yes and the reason <clears throat> why is I felt like um, and it's the same thing about you know being a, a spoke in the wheel or part of the, a part of it all uh, I've I always felt like I was a part of like living art doing that number. There was something that it, it almost felt like we were like a painting that had come to life, almost like a Harry Potter painting on the wall that was like moving. And I I loved that, especially when I actually saw the number for the first time and was just like gobsmacked at how beautiful the number was and and is and how important we were in that number um but there was i did have one little moment in that that i loved and i got to come up with it there was basically we all had these chairs that we moved and there was a part where peter darling came to me and you know he said okay so there, there will be the focus will come to you at this point and you'll have your chair and you can just use your chair sort of as like you know your dance partner basically and and that was sort of you know all he said but I loved having that moment. I would sort of hold the chair on my shoulder and caress the leg of the chair as if it was my dance partner's arm, basically. And I, there was something, that moment, like, never, ever got old for me. And part of it was the direction he gave me mm. and the freedom he gave me in that direction. And also just knowing what that moment was in the story, in Grandma's story, in that number. Um, that's a number that, you know, I, it never got old for me. And I, I loved doing it even when it was difficult because you still had to like hit the right mark and hit every you know it was, and it was in the dark you couldn't find the yeah, mark exactly. on the floor you and it was a break oh and my oh, gosh but that was the yeah, hardest like, thinking about it again the, the balance thing that you ha- I had to do yeah. I was like it took me two weeks to figure it out yeah but Eric Gunnis and I had that same thing we originally we had to we had to balance our foreheads like on oh. our, our foreheads and and then we had to like roll down to the top the top of our head and ultimately, I think it changed. Maybe because we were bad at it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we were. But, but Eric, I can say Eric that was that, bad at that, that company was so nice because I was one of the first replacements. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've been in shows where people are so rude to the replacements. Like, not, uh, unintentionally, it's just... Sure. It's, and it, everyone there was so warm to me. I always love that. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, though, um, you were talking about who's going to sit next to you in the dressing room. Yes. The dressing rooms of Billy Elliot were weird because... We never were in there. We started the show there and then went downstairs. And um, and so I want you to talk about downstairs. But it was weird because it also didn't feel like a dressing room as much as it felt like um, a frat house. It was a it was a locker room feeling. Right. But to, like I forget because there was two sections to downstairs. We were basically locked in the cellar. Yeah. I was in the annex. I was in the in the non locker room area. But you so, were like basically changing on washers and dryers. We changed on washer and dryer, yeah, because yeah. there was no room. I mean, if you recall the whole story of the Imperial, where Billy Elliot was, there was not even room for the set, so they dug a hole into the basement of the Imperial, um, in order to fit the set in. So because there wasn't even room for the set, there of course was like no room for the changes to happen. So, and there were so many men in that ensemble, so they, everyone was fighting for space, and ultimately, three of us got pushed next to where all the ensemble men were changing um, into what we, we called the annex, which was basically the laundry room. And I think at first, everyone was sort of like, oh, sorry, I'm sorry you got like pushed to like the like far reaches of the basement. In the end, we had the best area because oh. it was quiet. We, you know, we had plenty of room. Like, so, yes, my clothes were set out on the washer and dryer. 
and Lissa, our our um, wardrobe woman who did all the laundry, um, matinee days, she was there doing the laundry, but I adored her, and so we would like gossip and chat, and while I was making my changes, and yeah, um, and our John Funk, one of our guardians, he and I used to talk about um, how it would be great to make a. A laundromat that was also a fitness facility so that while you were doing your laundry you could be like think of it as perfect like, it is like it takes an hour like yeah. to like dry but that can be while you're doing you know some of your fitness regime and it all came about because I would use the washer and dryer for my warm up for Billy Elliot <laughs> like it was perfect to like hike my leg up and do like a bar work on it and so we you know we would talk about that but it, yeah it ended up being great because the other section of the downstairs area was very much like a frat house. It was and like there the, were times the pit? Where, was that what we, I think it was the I pit. I think it right? was called the pit, yeah. Yeah. Like, but there were people just punching and smacking. Yes. And, oh. and don't get me wrong, there were times when I, like, loved that. I would oh. totally come over from the annex to enjoy that energy because it was very much a male testosterone-driven show. So, you know, I didn't want to distance myself from it totally because that's part of what the the fun is oh absolutely but it was nice that i could go back to my side and get away from it as well yeah but i mean those were great that i have like really fond memories of that even with the frat house feel of it those guys like we all um i always think of like the movie like stand by me or like you know it was sort of like like those days you're like oh we all went through that experience together we'll never go back yeah. to those, that river again like, <laughs> somebody somebody referred to it as their Vietnam like, <laughs> it's like it really was such a hard experience that we all like went through but it made us all bond in like such a great way and like some of the best people that I know in this business I met doing that show and we bond you know we, like me it was like, no. like, like, like Brad Rowley like, <laughs> no, not joking of yeah. course like like deep deep bond yeah. which is which is awesome and you had to give a complete vanity for that show for your that comb over wig yeah it I was, mean every, well it was I, brilliant but it was oh it was brilliant everybody I mean everybody did and I will never forget like the women coming back from their first fittings and just being like sort of mortified because the show took place in the early 80s but the town was so behind at the times that our costume designer designed the costumes to be in the 70s because you know fashion in small towns doesn't isn't always as current as what it would be in new york city in metropolitan cities so they would be a little bit behind so i just remember i still remember the women coming back just shocked of like that's what i have to wear and for me i and i you can ask campbell our wig designer I went in for my wig fitting, and he told me what I was going to have, and I lit up like a Christmas tree. He was like, you'll be out wearing... Like, I, I literally sat down, and again, because I'm bald, I, there was a part of me that was like, why do I have a wig? Like, I just... This makes no sense to me. Why would you cover that up? That's part of what it makes me a character. And I had seen it on the fitting schedule, like, a few days in advance, and I was like, this is baffling to me. So then when I went in, and he said, you're going to have a comb-over, I lit up because I just was like, this is, it was so funny to me, the idea. I was like, that is genius. Like, because I know those people. Those people, they live in my hometown and they live in these small towns and the men who can't let let, Let let go go of that little bit of hair they have left. So they just comb those wisps over their bald spot, no matter what it looks like. And so uh, that was my wig and it taped, um, how did it work? It taped on the back of my head and it glued on the front of my head. And then it was just strands of hair that combed over my bald spot. And it was awesome because when we were dancing, it would sort of like flutter <laughs> in the air. <laughs> just like exactly as you would picture like um, a man with a comb over walking down the sidewalk who is like, you know, wind blows and his comb over just starts flapping. The exact same thing. And it also was great because it was, it was cool. So I never... You know, sometimes a wig can be hot yes. during the show. It never bothered me. It never got in my way. It was, I, I loved it. And then I also wore glasses in that show too. That were sort of, sort of nerdy glasses, but I kind of, en- I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it sort of went with the whole, whole look. I mean, again, that's all part of embracing your type. Like that's, 
I think that's why I got excited. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this makes me even more charactery Absolutely. than what I can just bring to the table on my own. And it's more fun than being a tap dancing sailor. It's so, it's so much more fun. And, and that's the wonderful thing about like wig designers and costume designers is they can, the really great ones give you things as a performer to, to work with. I mean, the things that Greg Barnes, without giving too much away, but the things that he gives me in Something Rotten, like just allow me as an actor to play and have so much more fun with my character than what I would oh, absolutely. have anywhere else. Yeah. And the same thing, I mean, it was the same thing with Billy Elliot. I mean, I was I was in the ensemble. I, I don't even think I had a single line, and yet I created an entire character for myself, mm-hmm. Professor Diggles, who was a professor of horticulture and mined during the summers when school was out. So therefore he had wow. these glasses and, you know, so you, you come up with that stuff and, and it, it makes makes uh, the boring days more fun, which is nice. But um, So question, why did you leave the Broadway company to go on the, t- it was oh, the first right. national tour of Billy It was the second national. Oh, second national. So the first national was like a Chicago sit down. So I had been doing Billy Elliot in New York for two years and, um, I was enjoying it, but it was a lot of work. We were in rehearsals all the time, and um, and I the tour came up, and I had toured twice before with the Full Monty and Annie, and I really enjoy touring. I love being in a new city, you know, every week or every other week. You get to, you know, it's what I always say is that like when you're on tour, the the show is your constant, and everything else is changing frequently. So there's always something changing. Mm. The minute you step on the deck, that stays that stays the same. So that's your constant. When you're in New York, the show is your constant, but your life is kind of also your constant. There's, right. oh, yeah. You know, you're you're still you're going home, you're cleaning your house, you're paying your bills, you're all of that. When you're on the road, you go back to your hotel, and so there's somebody to like take care of your, you know, hotel room right. for you. And so doing the show is almost a little bit easier on the road because you're. Your typical life stuff is not as hard. You have a company manager who takes care of your travel for you and takes care of your housing for you. And I mean, it's, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> and it, for Billy Elliot, I just sort of thought, like, I think that this will be an easier experience. And there were about eight of us from the Broadway company who all thought, let's go on the road together. We we're all a group of friends and we thought this will be fun and we'll see the country. And, and that's exactly how it was. Plus, we knew that tour was not doing anything less than... Um, four weeks with the exception of a couple of cities uh so we thought that's awesome to get to like be in minneapolis for four weeks and be in you know seattle and portland for an extended period of time and get to know those cities and get paid to do it absolutely i I just thought why not change it up i've been doing it for two years and i thought let's let's change it up and so i did it for i was gone from the new york company for about a year doing the tour and then that tour unfortunately closed a little bit early and the week before we closed, the New York company called and said, so your track is opening up again in New York. Do you want to come back? And so I came back and then stayed until the end, which was about six months later. Yeah. So I did Billy Elliot for almost four years. That's amazing. With the little tour in the middle, which was a blast. Of course. Yeah. Well, we're going to probably wrap it up, but is there something that like I didn't ask a question that you're dying to talk about? <laughs> Funny story? Um, I don't think I have anything. Well, that's great. You don't need to. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I told you. I I think I spilled. I think I spilled a lot of juicy details. You do spill a lot of juicy details. But but if I miss something, you know, let me know. I will. Happy to, to divulge anything. Great. I mean, were you teased and like as a boy and all that kind of stuff? I mean, were you always confident you knew you were gonna do this or? No, I was always confident, and I wasn't really teased, which. I'm sort of surprised about. I grew up in a small town, and I, as I think back on it, I'm like, I was definitely sort of a weird kid. Like, I tap dance and took took piano lessons and loved Broadway musicals in the middle of this farm town, and yet people just let me do it and enjoyed it. My parents were very supportive. I think that was probably a large part of it. I had the people know, tease you now that you quilt. <laughs> yes now it's when it's hard everybody teases me um, I'm a, oh my god I'm a horrible quilter though I'm terrible that's what they I really get teased about how bad I am at it but um, no I wasn't I was a I was a lucky lucky duck that's for sure I was had a lot of support which is nice and well Broadway's lucky to have you I've seen you I saw you in Sister Act I saw you in Something Rotten I saw you in You're All Blessed 
and I shared. You're all, <laughs> bless you all. Bless you all. You're all blessed. And, uh, wait, I shared. I didn't see Motown, but I shared the stage with you, Billy Elliot. Right. And you're fantastic. So if you could pick one song from all the shows that you worked on, which would it be to end your podcast? You know what? There's a song in the Full Monty because it was my professional debut. It, this this song. I just love it, and I love that show, and it's the song "Breeze Off the River" that Jerry sings in the Full Monty to his little boy when his little boy is trying to sleep, and it's, I think, David Yazbek wrote a beautiful song with some beautiful lyrics. So I think "Breeze Off the River" from the Full Monty. That will be it. Well, thank you very much. It's you're like ten minutes away from half hour, so I am. I'll off. give you a hug. Thanks, Brad. Bye. Thank you. There's a breeze off the river Through the crack in the window pane There's my boy on the pillow And I feel like I'm lost again Everybody knows the secret They all know what their life should be And they move like a river Everybody knows except for me And I never feel like somebody Somebody calls a father I can't explain When I look at your kid It's like a mirror It spins my head It wakes me like the breeze off the river Every time I see your face And it's strange but familiar Like a map of a better place And sometimes I feel like I live in a shadow Shadows on Everybody knows the secret Well, I don't, and I never did I don't know any secret All I know is I love you, kid All I know is I love you, kid